chapter four of rousseau and education according to nature by thomas davidson this librivox recording is in the public domain rousseau's social theories the state is prior to the individual aristotle politics all men are equally by nature free hobbes leviathan chapter twenty one all public regimen of what kind soever seemeth evidently to have risen from the deliberate advice consultation and composition between men judging it convenient and behooveful there being no impossibility in nature considered by itself but that man might have lived without any public regimen hooker ecclesiastical polity book one section ten love thou thy land with love far brought from out the storied past and used within the present but transfused through future time by power of thought but pamper not a hasty time nor feed with crude imaginings the herd wild hearts and feeble wings that every sophister can line tennyson rousseau in his second letter to m de malzerbe tells us that his discourse on the sciences and arts that on the origin of inequality among men and emile are three are three inseparable works which together form a single whole he ought to have added as a fourth a social contract but it was not then published though written and he had his reasons for not speaking of it since it is thus impossible to understand his educational theory as laid down in emile without having first grasped his social and political doctrines as expounded in the other three we must now consider these works we have already in chapter one briefly traced the course of the reaction against the theocentric authoritative teachings and institutions of the middle age in favor of that anthropocentric autonomous individualism which is the distinguishing characteristic of recent times and have seen how the source of political authority was gradually transferred from the inscrutable will of god supernaturally revealed and embodied in kings and princes to the manifold minds and wills of men we have further seen that when the question came to be asked how did these minds and wills being manifold and discordant produce an authority which they are all bound to acknowledge the answer was through a social contract by which men voluntarily agreed to defend the rights which had previously belonged to them in the state of nature finally we have seen that while at first this contract was believed to be irrevocable and the sovereign once chosen to be through succession perpetual and absolute this belief gradually gave place to another according to which the contract with the sovereign might at any time be annulled or altered by the will of the people and the sovereign deposed footnote we must always distinguish between the social contract proper which is an agreement among men to submit to a sovereign composed of one person or many from the contract with the sovereign elected the latter is the institution of government the former is the creation of a state or commonwealth rousseau unlike locke is clear enough on this point End of footnote. thus 
the conviction gradually grew up that men instead of being the creatures and slaves of institutions are their creators and masters that institutions exist for men and not men for institutions which should accordingly be modified to suit them thus man and his desires became the ultimate end to which institutions like all other things are but means it required but one unguarded step to pass from this to the notion that institutions are mere arrangements for enabling each individual man to give free play to his natural impulses his animal spontaneity without fear of being interrupted or disturbed footnote this was exactly the sophist position which socrates triumphantly refuted End of footnote. rousseau took this step and upon the notion so reached built up his political social and educational theories they are all attempts to answer the question how is it possible through social institutions which under certain circumstances become a painful necessity for man's natural spontaneity wherein consists his happiness to find unthwarted expression this indeed is the question which rousseau supposed he was answering but as a matter of fact he went a step further and asked instead how would social institutions have to be arranged in order that my spontaneity might have free expression now as we have seen chapters two three rousseau's spontaneity was both excessive and peculiar he was almost the last man to be adopted as the type of men in general and this he knew very well he belonged indeed to the very numerous class of self-centred unenterprising dalliers but he was an extreme and therefore a rare specimen of it being according to his own admission at once ardently sensuous and hopelessly indolent he craved those kinds of half-animal enjoyment that could be attained with the smallest amount of reflection will and physical energy hence his ideal was a quiet simple easy-going life with no duties and no aims with plenty of time for dallying dreaming and love-making and with the hope of a divinely provided future eternity of the same sort he desired above all things to feel and to avoid the trouble of thinking or acting footnote he never did either except under the influence of passion hume said of him he has only felt during the whole course of his life and in this respect his sensibility rises to a pitch beyond what i have seen any example of but it still gives him a more acute feeling of pain than of pleasure End of footnote with the story of eden and the theories of hobbes and locke in his mind he was fain to believe that this was man's natural condition but instead of holding with these that men had risen by combining into societies through a rational contract he maintained that they had fallen and that thought and knowledge were evidences of depravity to prove this and to recommend a return to nature and savagery was the aim of his two discourses while in the social contract he tried to rescue as much of nature as he could in the midst of culture still deep in mediaeval notions he had no conception of evolution through struggle or of the only blessedness worthy of man the consciousness of continual moral victory in such struggle bearing these facts in mind we have no difficulty in realizing the perturbation caused in rousseau's unstable nature by the dijon academy's question which called forth his first discourse he believed with all his heart 
that not only art and science but everything that presupposes discipline and continuous thought or labour was prejudicial to morals that is to the sort of life he coveted but no one thing about rousseau can never be doubted and it is a great thing and due to his spontaneity his complete emotional sincerity his desires were very real to him End of footnote. and he undertook to show this by an appeal to present experience in past history having in his contact with men learnt what all of us learn that the external polish of manners and the elegant accomplishments which earn for a man the character of gentleman and make him a social favourite are not only compatible but frequently coexist with inner meanness heartlessness vulgarity and treachery whereas rusticity of manners and slowness of intellect often conceal an inner core of sterling gentlemanliness and worth he jumps to the conclusion that polish and culture by furnishing a uniform style of mask for the virtuous and the vicious alike make all human intercourse a mere masquerade destroy simplicity and so corrupt society this conclusion he finds confirmed by a survey of the ancient nations which he affirms with a fair show of truth to have been virtuous strong and progressive as long as they were ignorant of the sciences and arts and to have declined from the moment when these were introduced though admitting that great thinkers and artists may be useful if they are also great and virtuous citizens like cicero and bacon he has only scorn for the ordinary run of philosophers scientists and literary panderers to popular taste bewailing as an almost unmixed evil the invention of printing which makes it possible to perpetuate their productions expressed briefly his argument is that scientific and artistic culture is incompatible with virtue he concludes that such culture should be eschewed and men return to the simplicity of primitive life and blissful ignorance unprovocative of ambition paradoxical and untenable as rousseau's general position is it contains a large amount of truth which won its adherents in an age of universal unreality hypocrisy and corruption masked by politeness it is true that polish without virtue gentlemanly bearing without generosity and sympathy erudition without insight brilliancy without earnestness and charity without self-sacrifice are evil and not good it is true that mere occupation with science for science sake without any sense of its relation to moral life and with art for the sake of the passive pleasure it yields is a sure sign of moral decadence and national enfeeblement it is true that that culture alone is good which leads to lofty simplicity and robust virtue it was no small merit on the part of rousseau to have given these truths energetic expression but when he confounded true culture of mind affection and will with mere superficial polish and refined simplicity with ignorant savagery or rusticity he was misleading the world and defeating his own ends by a display of that hollow and pernicious rhetoric which he so heartily despised and stigmatized rousseau's first discourse was attacked from many quarters but this by no means daunted him his passions being concerned he not only replied to all objectors but returned to the charge with fresh ammunition in his second discourse in which he sought to answer the question what is the origin of inequality among men and is it authorized by the natural law in this true to his love of feeling and his hatred of thinking and mindful of his lonely sensuous reveries in the forest of montmorency 
he assures us that the state of reflection is a state contrary to nature and the man who thinks as a depraved animal he draws a picture of man in his purely animal state when he wandered in the forest without industry without speech without home without war or tie with no need of his fellows and no desire to hurt them perhaps even not knowing any one of them individually being endowed with the sentiment of pity he was naturally kind and good inclined rather to help than to hurt his fellows when they came in his way and as there was as yet no inequality he had no ground for hatred envy pride or any of the numerous vices that follow in their train following nature he was free strong and happy rousseau next proceeds to show how as men multiplying found more and more difficulty in obtaining food they invented traps and similar devices and so began to have private property and how finally learning that they could accomplish their ends better by combining they entered first into momentary and then into permanent relations with each other with the rise of the latter they began to settle together to build themselves huts and to have their families about them division of labor began and with it a certain loss of robust savage courage civilization was beginning and with it corruption still as there was yet no marked inequality there was almost no vice and indeed this was perhaps the happiest of all human conditions the great evil of inequality began when what had previously been common to all was claimed as private property the first man who having enclosed a piece of land took upon him to say this is mine and found people simple enough to believe him was the true founder of civil society how many crimes wars murders miseries horrors would have been spared the human race by him who tearing up the stakes or filling up the ditch should have called out to his fellows beware of listening to this impostor you are lost if you forget that the fruit belongs to all the earth to none from this point on it is easy to follow the development of civil society involving as it does the decay of freedom virtue and happiness and the growth of slavery vice and misery if we follow the progress of inequality he says we shall find that the establishment of law and of the right of private property was its first term the institution of magistracy its second and the third and last the transition from legitimate to arbitrary power so that the condition of rich and poor was authorized by the first epoch that of strong and weak by the second and by the third that of master and slave which is the last degree of inequality and the one to which all the others finally come and rousseau draws a picture of civilized society which contrasts luridly enough with his previous picture of the life of the noble savage the conclusion is that all inequality among men is due to private property and all vice misery and slavery to inequality the moral of course is return to savage life to the state of nature no better commentary can be made on this book than the one which voltaire made in the letter in which he thanked the author for a copy of it i have received he says your new book against the human race and return you my thanks never was such ability put forth in the endeavour to make us all stupid on reading your book one longs to walk on all fours the work regarded as a whole is indeed the height of absurdity and yet it contains a large amount of solid truth and produced in the practical world effects which determine and are still determining the fate of nations what the author says in regard to the origin of language and of ideas is better than anything that had been said before him his views on the relations of property to social life and ethics are more and more coming to be recognized as true 
his notions of the relation of thought to reality if they had been worked out into a system would have given us a saner and truer philosophy than any that has ever appeared footnote take for example the following the human understanding owes much to the passions which by common consent likewise owe much to it it is through their activity that our reason perfects itself we seek to know only because we desire to enjoy and it is impossible to conceive how our being having neither desires nor fears should take the trouble to reason the passions on the other hand originate in our needs and their progress in our knowledge in the footnote and the book contains not only the tinder that kindled the french revolution and the germ that burst into the american declaration of independence but also the forces of all those deeper and more pervasive movements that are toiling in the gloom under the surface of our present social order socialism anarchism nihilism and the like lastly there is in the book an important pedagogical truth which may be summed up in the greek aphorism education is learning to love and hate correctly the second discourse was written in seventeen fifty three nine years later appeared the social contract meant to be merely a portion of a larger work on political institutions rousseau having meanwhile come to recognize that a return to the state of nature is impossible that civil society and culture have come to stay now proposed to himself this problem to find a form of association which shall defend with all the common force the person and property of each associate and through which each uniting with all shall nevertheless obey only himself and remain as free as before in other words he wished to discover how the freedom lost with the state of nature might be recovered in the state of culture his answer was by means of a social contract of this form each of us places in a common stock his person and all his power under the supreme direction of the general will and we further receive each member as an individual part of the whole in other words men coming to recognize that they had reached a point where the obstacles to their preservation in a state of nature were too much for the forces which each individual could put forth to maintain himself in that state and that therefore they must perish if they tried to continue in it resolved to unite their forces in order to overcome these obstacles in this way they gave up their individual freedom and accepted in exchange social freedom that is such freedom as is possible when each individual submits himself to rules reached through a compromise between the wills of all whereas previously each individual was a sovereign in his own right now the only sovereign is the whole of society of which each individual is a member or to put it otherwise men to escape complete bondage to nature accepted partial bondage to society in which each will is free only in so far as it is a part of the general will influencing all and being influenced by all this will in any particular case is found in the vote of the majority of course this social freedom according to rousseau is not an equivalent for natural freedom which should be preserved wherever it is possible but it is the next best thing only care must be taken that it does not as at present degenerate into tyranny on the one hand and slavery on the other footnote man is born free and is everywhere in chains these are the opening words of the first chapter of the social contract in the footnote though the authority of the sovereign is absolute inalienable indivisible and the source of all laws yet since the execution of laws must be entrusted by law to a part of the sovereign there is always danger that this part though possessing no independent authority will either use the laws for its own benefit or act contrary to the laws and thus enslave the other part 
when this happens the social contract is broken and the parties to it return to a state of nature free from all authority but free at the same time to make a fresh contract here we have at once the conditions and the justification of revolution such in very brief form is the main gist of the social contract which has played such a dissolvent part in the history of the last hundred years it is from our present point of view easy to criticise it but it is also easy to misunderstand its main thesis it may be and is true that rousseau conceives all social order to rest upon an original compact made in the distant past but this is as good as irrelevant to his purpose his book is meant to solve a problem not to reason from a fact his contention is that all the relations of the individual to society ought at every moment to be such as would result from a free contract entered into by persons all enjoying the same natural rights all free and all equal on the understanding that all these rights should be maintained and that all the contractants should remain free and equal under the contract is this true that is the question it is not starting from false premises rousseau naturally arrived at false conclusions his state of nature is a pure fiction of the imagination man in such a state would not be man at all for all that makes him man is evolved through association he is not born free for freedom and slavery are terms that have no meaning except in a social order animal caprice is not freedom man does not lose but gain freedom by association and the more extensive the association the greater the freedom the phrase natural rights which has played so mischievous a part in thought and practice since rousseau's day is actually self-contradictory or as logicians say contains a contradictio in adjecto where there is no social order there are no rights at all in so far all beings are equal rights imply duties and both imply mutuality which involves association society is not due to an agreement whereby men pool rights previously and independently possessed it is a combination whereby rights are created if we insist upon giving a meaning to the phrase natural rights it must be those rights which a man born into a society already constituted may fairly claim on the ground that certain duties are demanded of him even though he has had no voice in the organization of that society at the present day when all men are held to be born into human society footnote for aristotle was far wiser than rousseau when he said man is by nature a political animal End of footnote and therefore to have certain duties all are held to have such natural rights but this view is of very recent origin even in the most civilized countries again general will is a nonsensical phrase for will is always individual and even if we substitute aggregate of individual wills this aggregate is not found by pairing off and setting aside opposing wills and counting only those that can find none to pair off with one will does not cancel another however much it may be opposed to it perusso's chief error lay in this that like plato the first and greatest of utopians he supposed that human nature could be suddenly transformed by the fiat of the legislator and society be made to assume any arrangement which he with his geometrical wisdom or landscape gardening fancy might choose to give it neither of these men based his theories upon a careful study of human nature and progress or inquired what given humanity such as it is with its ignorance caprice and willfulness was possible for it at any given stage in its career both of them set out with their own feelings and preferences and finding that these were thwarted and confined by the social order about them went to work with their imaginations to construct another 
in which these feelings and preferences should have full play this is the fatal vice of all utopians and sentimentalists they make the satisfaction of their own needs and imaginary desires the aim of social endeavour forgetting the homely proverbs that you cannot make a silk purse out of a sow's ear and that one man's meat is another man's poison moreover since all sentimentalists belong to the dalliant class they are always trying to make arrangements for dalliance that is for the cessation of struggle and energetic enterprise and for the realization of an earthly paradise of sweet rest and dreamy emotions they cannot be made to see that all true life is struggle and that if the struggle should cease life would cease to have any value and become a mere opium eater's dream but it is the very vice of these subjective utopians that wins fanatical adherence for their theories for the fanatic is simply the man who by calling the imagined satisfaction of his own desires the sacred ideal of humanity can proclaim it without fear or shame to the whole world and in words fledged with passion and tipped with sympathetic poison call upon it to aid him in giving it reality not hesitating if the opportunity occurs to employ in the process fire sword gibbet or guillotine if he is of the extreme sort he will announce that he speaks with the voice of god and command all men to believe in him and follow his lead on pain of eternal torture thus did mohammed joseph smith and the bab of modern persia as the virus of rousseau's social theories of which his educational system confessedly forms a part has not yet ceased to poison the minds of men and women of the dalliant order it may be well to bring out here that nature of this virus and to show its pernicious effects in social life a rapid glance at the world as we know it suffices to show us that it is composed of clusters of feelings distinguished grouped and generalized into things by what we call the categories of thought matter footnote if we abstract from matter what is plainly feeling for example shape colour hardness and penetrability there is nothing left matter is a group of feelings see huxley descartes discourse touching the method of using one's reason force love hate self or feelings differentiated by time space relation and the like if now we follow the course of evolution as revealed to us by recent investigation we shall see that it is a progress in feeling from indistinction to distinction from unconsciousness to consciousness and finally to self-consciousness which appears to be the ultimate distinctness to this last man alone so far as we know has attained and even he has not attained to it completely he is still half akin to brute still swayed by impulses which he is not able to differentiate analyze or make completely subservient to his ultimate end his passions even his love and pity are to a large extent still blind and he acts from motives whose rationality he often does not see in like manner his social relations are still half instinctive being due not to conscious contract but to use and want he thus finds himself in a certain status which if one wishes to abuse language may be called thraldom or even slavery but which in fact is merely the natural condition of all beings that have not as the result of complete self-consciousness attained perfect self-determination it is a familiar saying that all social advances from status to contract which means from relations contracted through instinct use and want to relations entered into with a conscious purpose since this advance cannot reach its goal until men grown completely self-conscious 
can undertake to conduct their lives in view of an all-embracing freely set purpose it is evident that a social contract in rousseau's sense a contract extending to all the relations of life can come only at the end and by no means at the beginning of social life it is the failure to grasp this simple result of historic induction that makes it possible seriously to construct utopias and at the same time makes their failure almost certain and utopia is simply a proposal to impose one man's notions of the conditions that would ensure his happiness upon his fellows an arrangement which instead of securing their freedom would completely enthrall them every utopian from plato down places himself in the ruling class imagine how rousseau would feel as a member of the warrior class in plato's republic or as an operative in mr bellamy's industrial commonwealth in all history we know but of one man who succeeded in imposing his private ideal upon his race and through it upon a large portion of the world and that was mohammed but we must not forget that he did so by means of supernatural claims and that the results have been fanaticism and slavery footnote rousseau has some excellent remarks on the efforts of peter the great to force his ideal upon russia the russians he says will never be truly civilized because they were so too soon peter had an imitative genius he had not true genius and such as creates and makes everything out of nothing some of the things he did were good the greater part were ill-timed he saw that his people was barbarian he did not see that it was not ripe for civilization he tried to civilize it when he ought to have inured it to war he wished at once to make germans and englishmen when he ought to have begun by making russians he prevented his subjects from becoming what they might have been by persuading them that they were what they were not the russian empire will try to subjugate europe and will itself be subjugated End of footnote. no good can ever be done to a people by trying to force it into any mould prepared for it from without even if for a time it submits to the mould it will sooner or later either burst it or perish through cramping in a healthy state peoples feel their way forward so to speak spontaneously forming new ideals at every step and freely realizing them at the next all that the enthusiastic lover of his kind the wise reformer can do is to hasten this process by diffusing such knowledge and culture as shall give a deeper and wider meaning to experience and so make possible higher ideals any attempt to force the process or to substitute for it slowly but freely attained results a rigid unprogressive scheme such as utopias are sure to be can lead to nothing but slavery and death equally fatal to liberty and well-being are all attempts to induce a people to alter its whole social system in favour of some scheme that seems to promise greater material prosperity greater ease comfort and dalliance this is the mistake made by the socialists and many other well-meaning but ill-advised reformers of the present day this was the mistake made by rousseau whose social contract may be said to be the bible of both socialism and anarchism holding that the bonds of civil society were or might be created by a contract he concluded that they were dissolved when the terms of that contract were violated and that thereupon the contractants or their representatives could revert to their original condition of savage individualism with freedom to slay each other to their heart's content and when tired of that to return a battered remnant to civic life by making a new contract to suit their tastes 
the premise of this argument being false the conclusion was necessarily so likewise but this was not the worst rousseau forgot three most important things one to state the precise terms of the social contract two to determine what would constitute a violation of these terms three to say who should have the right of declaring authoritatively when they were violated on his principles it would be entirely competent for any body of men at any time to declare the contract broken and to revert to anarchy thus the social contract is mistaken in theory and pernicious or impossible in practice it rests upon a false conception of human nature and its laws and places as a fact at the beginning of social evolution what can only be an ideal to be gradually approached as an end it places the perfection of human nature in a condition of savage isolation governed by pure caprice and regards all advance toward moral liberty through social organization as a decline and a degeneration it makes liberty and equality conditions prior and external to civilization instead of as they are the highest results of the social process it teaches men to regard social restraints and institutions as something artificial and conventional which it is their duty to cast aside whenever they can in favour of savage freedom with its animal immediateness and spontaneity if it reluctantly admits the necessity of a social order it regards this not as a means of moral training in conscious self-control which is true freedom but as a contrivance for conserving animal spontaneity and caprice from rousseau's views regarding the truly important in life and the value of social organization we can easily divine the character of his educational system with that we shall begin to deal in the next chapter end of chapter four